The Way Out Podcast, episode 96. I'm Annie, and uh, I've been in the process of uh, recovery from uh, three different things um, for about eight years. My primary addiction is food. Uh, My secondary would be smoking, and my third would be alcohol. Eight years ago, um, I was uh, asked to be in a wedding, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to do this wedding uh, chubby. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on this week's installment of The Way Out, sharing stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. The Way Out does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. Our purpose is to share with you, one episode at a time, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. The Way Out podcast is sponsored by Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check out the official website of the Way Out Podcast at www.wayoutcast.com. There you will find links to our latest episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Radio FM. You can also follow the Way Out Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Help us get the message out that lifelong recovery from alcoholism and addiction is possible by giving us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform the way out podcast is on right now i'm charlie and i'll be your host for episode 96 with annie annie talks candidly and openly about the three addictions she is in recovery from overeating nicotine and alcohol we broach a subject not often spoke of in recovery circles nicotine addiction is real and rather rampant in and around the rooms of recovery. Annie shares her unique perspective and how she recovered from her own three-headed monster of addiction. Listen up. Annie, to the Way Out podcast, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here in person, live and in person, at the lavish, the luxurious... Way Out Podcast Studios. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's nice to be here. I appreciate you having me. So why don't you introduce yourself to the Way Out Podcast audience uh, and uh, tell us uh, what your, um, um, tell us your primary addiction. Sure. Tell us uh, recovery date. Sure. And anything else you'd like to share off the top? Sure. So, um, I'm Annie, and uh, I've been in the process of uh, recovery from uh, three different things um, for about eight years. And my primary addiction is food. Uh, My secondary would be smoking, and my third would be alcohol. Um, Approximately eight years ago, I was uh, asked to be in a wedding, and I said, you know what, I'm not going to do this wedding uh, chubby. So, we're going to make a different choice, and I lost 119 pounds. And How long um, did it take to you to lose the 119 pounds? So, you said food was your primary addiction. Correct. 
so you would you identify as an overeater then yes. at that point or a, a recovering overeater? Correct. And at that time, I did attend Celebrate Recovery, which is a Christian-based mm-hmm. uh, recovery program. And um, it's your hurts, your hangups, and your habits. And I learned that a lot of my hurt uh, came from insecurities, self-esteem issues, um, some of the things that my parents maybe uh, just didn't weren't as strong and in instilling in me. Not that it was their fault, but I just needed to work on that a lot harder. So um, being married to a gourmet chef didn't help. I bet not. Yeah, it makes it a lot harder to resist. Uh, you know, right? I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I, 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 hundred percent um, identify with you, Annie. I'm a fat kid at heart. Okay, um, so um, you know, food is definitely something that I have a abnormal relationship with. Okay, and I think that is probably more prevalent in addiction and alcoholism recovery yes then many may lead you to believe correct i absolutely think so and for me i know that it is um also controlling your mind praying a lot and controlling your hands um kind of mm. a, a joke in my house is sit on your hands mm. and that's something that we do sometimes mm. and um because we want to use those hands to put things in our mouth right yes. you know whether that be a cigarette whether that be a cupcake yep right exactly so it's a it's a beer it's a, a cigarette or it's something sweet so um i worked through that process i did very well um i lost the weight um I exercised. I did what I was supposed to do. And I was pretty good. And then I had a breakup. So Mm. the boyfriend and I broke up. And I just couldn't do it anymore. So I grabbed um, tobacco aggressively. And because I didn't want to grab food. And I got to the point where I was smoking about a pack a day. And so nicotine is a appetite suppressant. Oh man! So good. that's a gr- so you switch to a better addiction, <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. Because you know. <laughs> it, it suppresses the appetite. So clearly, this addiction is actually okay, right? Well, you know, <laughs> maybe not, but okay. All right. <laughs> it's it's kind of a stinky addiction. To it be is. truthful. It is. Um, but did you find yourself sort of like? Because I've done that with cigarettes, like. Yeah, I know it's not the best thing for me, but at least I'm not, you know, um, consuming thousands and thousands of calories. It's suppressing my appetite and keeping my weight under control. Right. And also, remember, our culture in, in the United States is people are attracted to pretty people. Mm. So everyone's attracted to hang out with me mm. because now my body is beautiful. Mm. So because what's I'm the thin. big deal mm. if I don't if I don't smoke around them, then I can be attractive around them. And you know, if if we could all see each other's souls or our spirits instead of our shells, I think a whole entire different world this would be. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. You know, you that is going on the front end of this show. I'm just telling you that right now. <laughs> That is going right on the front end because I love that. And you're right. Uh, and I think in, in recovery, we, we learn how to show that. Correct. Yeah? Correct, yes. So um, then I was uh, smoking about 200 times a day. Uh, I was breathing in that nicotine. 
And then I got to a point where um, I hit rock bottom with the nicotine. So um, the night of um, my um, rock bottom was January 22nd of 17. And I had already smoked about a pack by about five o'clock. I went and got another pack of cigarettes. And then by two in the morning, I think I had gone through about another 20. So the next morning, um, I felt as though I was literally bruised my lungs mm-hmm, completely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, really was almost thinking maybe I better go to the hospital. Not sure. But I knew that I had bruised my lungs so bad that I never wanted to do that again. There's a lot of nods, I bet, right now in Way Out podcast land as they're listening to you share this and the abuse that some of us have put our lungs through. And when you wake up that next morning, like you said, your lungs feel like they got kicked. Yes. Right? And everybody least. now can say hi to Chubbs, the Way Out podcast kitty, uh, who <laughs> literally never makes a noise until podcast time and then needs to <laughs> needs to be on the show. I love it. <laughs> very, very adorable kitty. So you, this is like your second bottom. Yes. Yeah, because you had a right. bottom with... Mm-hmm. Overeating, yep. mm-hmm, and food. now you've now experienced a bottom with nicotine. Correct. Yep. So um, that day, I um, said no more. I'm done. Uh, I literally started my love addiction with nicotine um, because I was wanting to be rebellious, and so I was in Bible college. Mm. So I would go to the gas station and get some cigarettes and <laughs> <sneak> <laughs> behind the gas station. <laughs> And that was my big rebellion is to smoke a cigarette. And so um, I had to emotionally resolve that and say, okay, God, you gave us beautiful bodies. I have uh, abused my body once and then I have made it slender and thin and strong. And I am taking vitamins and I'm drinking water and I'm eating my vegetables why would I put nicotine in it? I'm so sorry, and I want to change my ways. I'm done with that nicotine. How did, once you made the decision, I'm a big fan of the Joe and Charlie tapes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, uh, as, they, as the big book comes alive and they go through the big book, and they really allowed me to understand the big book in a way that I never understood it reading it just by myself right one of the things they like to say is making a decision is one thing but you have to follow it up with some action yes in order for it to mean anything so what action followed that decision so um the action literally was um no more purchasing Mm. no more going to the gas station Mm. daily no more buying cigarettes um, I got a, uh, uh, I think it's okay to say I, I got a, a Minnesota sponsored, mm-hmm. uh, group. That yeah. And we can talk about that. Okay. So let's talk about that because okay. I think people need to be aware if you're looking, if you're in a place where your nicotine addiction has become unmanageable. Correct. Yep. And you're looking for some resources. Correct. Yep. Um, so quit plan. Yes. Yes. So I am actually the Minnesota um, Quit Plan uh, commercial person. So they uh, brought a television crew to uh, my living room. So you're famous. (laughs) I don't know about that, but if you think so. (laughs) One commercial, I don't know if that makes me famous. But 
Um, I definitely um, encourage all of you listeners, um, whatever your primary addiction is um, and you're working on it, that's fabulous. I see a lot of people um, as their secondary addiction of nicotine. The rooms um, of recovery are chocked full of nicotine addicts. Let's just get the elephant out of the room, shall absolutely, we? Absolutely, okay? absolutely. Uh, yes, it and- is no secret that there is a much higher prevalence of nicotine addiction in the rooms of recovery than there is in the general population. In fact, research says, Annie, because I looked this up. Fabulous. Yeah. That 85%, as many as 85% of people in long-term recovery from alcoholism or an addiction smoke. 85%. 85%. That's compared to 25% of the general population. It's, right? it's so sad. we call that, in layman's terms, cross-addiction. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. Uh, and I know when I first got sober, my rate and frequency of nicotine increased dramatically. Right. Right. right? Because I no longer had my primary addiction. Right. So my secondary addiction that I had all along went out of control. Right. And that's happened to me with other things too. So um, food Mm -hmm. uh, can be one of them. Porn. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Sex addiction. Right. So, you know, we're, I'm, I'm very, very capable of cross addiction. Right. 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 And I need to, as if if I'm going to grow in my recovery, for me personally, I'm speaking for me personally, I need to address all of my addictions. Yes, absolutely. And my addictive nature does not discriminate. Right. Okay? Right. It, it'll latch on to just about anything if it tastes good or feels good, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to lie. I'm liable to get addicted to I'm pretty close to being addicted to sparkling water okay so you know i mean that's how that is so so tell me about the process of coping with the withdrawal because i think it's a pretty well established nicotine is more addictive than heroin yes correct. it's the most addictive substance known yes correct on this earth yes okay um, and I went through my own, so I understand it on an intimate level. Tell me about how you manage the withdrawal. So you smoke about a pack a day, but as you so eloquently state, that's 200 times. Yes. Those fingers are going to those lips. Yes. How did you manage that? So um, I joined up with quitplan.com, which is a Minnesota-based free program. And that's Q-U-I-T-P-L-A-N.com. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And that's actually free for all Minnesota residents. Amazing. So if you're in Minnesota and listening to this, absolutely check it out, right? Um, and if you're not in Minnesota, you should probably move here. No, um, <laughs> there's, there's, there's tons of resources for smoking cessation. So Yes. Uh, a lot of times your uh, company, if you work for a large company, will your, also insurer, do that yep. your insurance mm-hmm. company will help you too. But, um, you know, there's many different methods. Everyone is different as uh, we all have our own way of doing things. You can take pills. You can 
um, take alternative, uh, just like, um, I'm not good at naming drugs very well, but I know so that- So there's Wellbutrin and- yep. Yes, yep. yes. And Chantix, and so those Chantix, are two. Yep. Yes. Um, and so uh, mine also was a very emotional thing. Uh, so I did a lot of journaling too. I wrote down a lot of my feelings. Um, I really, really worked through, um, the biggest thing that quit plan coaches talk to you about is if you can quit smoking for three days. Okay. Now just think about three days. Can you do something for one day? Can you do something wild and crazy for one day? Can you go kayaking for a day? Sure. Can you... Watch little kids for a day. Absolutely. Okay. Can you um, go horseback riding? Yeah. Okay. So if you can do something different and unusual like that for one day, then you could probably not do smoking for a day. Mm. If you were flying to another country when you're in the airport, you can't have a cigarette. Correct. If you're in the hospital because you broke your leg because you fell out of a tree, you probably can't have a cigarette. Right. So there's certain situations where you can distract yourself or uh, get out of the house, uh, go for a walk, make an alternative thing. So the biggest thing that Quit Plan Coach was is she said, I want you to write down 50 things you do that you can't smoke a cigarette while you're doing. So I did that and then constantly just kept uh, doing that for three days. So you were rotating through these 50 things. Every time you had a craving, you would look at this list and say... There's something on this list that I can do instead. Right. So I need to make a better choice. I need to make a smarter and choice. And here's a I'm list of smarter. 50 things that I can do that's a better choice than right. picking up a cigarette. Exactly. Yeah? And for those of us in recovery, that idea of can you do it for a day, that's mm-hmm. uh, a 24-hour, that's the day at a time. That's right. exactly what we practice on a, on a regular basis. So we could really apply that to nicotine addiction or any addiction. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, in one of those was um, doing, uh, I, I always have always played a lot of cards. If anyone knows me, we'll go to a restaurant uh, and I've got a deck of cards. Always. It's always. true. You pulled one out at the, uh, at the, <laughs> at the uh, barbecue we were at. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm always playing cards because that's keeping my hands busy. Ah. And so I, I don't want a cigarette because my hands are too busy. So that's one of the things. My next biggest thing is um, when I'm by myself in my house, uh, I want to go onto my patio. So I threw away all the furniture on the patio. Mm. And I bought a picnic table that looks just like my uh, recovery house's picnic table. (laughs) And I threw that on the patio and made the environment different. Ah, so I'm not. So you didn't have your smoking chair, correct? Anymore, smoking chair was gone. That sort of like beckons you. Yes, yes. Annie, it's gone. It's gone. Annie, come out and play. (laughs) Annie, I'm lonely. Come and have a cigarette on me. And your smoking chair has a British accent. I've decided. (laughs) (laughs) And um, then the next thing was, um, I started doing puzzles. So um, putting a puzzle piece uh, into a puzzle uh, became a transference of addiction for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you were able to channel that nervous energy right. that in one, in one iteration of your active addiction was eating, mm-hmm. and then another iteration was nicotine. Mm-hmm. Smoking. Yeah. 
And you channel that into puzzles. Yes. How many puzzles do you own, my dear? I so. mean, you 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 split that hand and mouth 200 times a day. How many puzzles do you need to have <laughs> to replace 200 hand and mouths? Right, exactly. So 365 days in a year times 200 hand and mouths. Uh, I calculated it before I came here tonight, and I've done approximately 36 puzzles in the last year and a half. And they're a thousand piece puzzles. So that's 36,000 pieces of puzzle I have placed on a board. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. Yeah. And how many swear words were involved in putting together these puzzles? <laughs> oh, there was a few here and there, just maybe. <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing. You look at puzzles and you think it's a grandma thing. It's also a thing to make you focus and do something different and change it up. Mm, it takes your mind off of, and again, it channels that energy, right? right. Exactly. And, and your hands are busy. So, therefore, um, I, I've never smoked in my house. So, therefore, um, I would never do that. I would never change that up anyways because I don't like that smell in my home. So, um, I, of course, am doing puzzles in the house. So, then it keeps me in the house. So, then the smoking chair that has already been... Stays lonely. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Is it already been eliminated. But even now, the new picnic table doesn't call me. Yeah. Which is amazing. So... Do you still today, how long have you been nicotine free? Uh, January 22nd of 17. Okay. So do you still to this day have cravings? No. I really, um, actually someone was smoking next to me like two days ago and I just thought, oh my gosh, this smells horrible. Mm. It just now is really, um, I would say probably the last like six months especially, it's now become that um, the smelling has really been uh, changed or heightened. Mm. Uh, I really smoked for like almost 20 years. So I feel like now it's like for the first time in my life I can smell. And when I smell that cigarette, oh, it's terrible. I feel the same way, you know, but there's nothing worse than a next smoker. I can, I think I can smell it when somebody lights up clear across the city, right? With a, with the windows rolled up in their car, Right. right? Like I can smell that from a mile away. Right? right, and yeah, it doesn't smell good to me. Um, tell me about the when did alcohol become a part of the mix? Okay, so um, I would say like January of sixteen. Um, I kind of um, had that moment. My father died uh, when he was forty-one, and I was forty-one then, and. Um, I just kind of uh, really felt like I, I wanted to jump in, into a bottle. I wanted Which is to, far too to young, just, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that is yeah, just... very young. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I really wanted to um, kind of uh, escape or think of something else or... Uh, you had these overwhelming feelings, right? Yeah, that you didn't yeah. know what to do with. Right, right, exactly. And eating was off the table. Right. Smoking was off the table. You're running out of addictions, my dear. <laughs> right. And and my mom was also a compulsive gambler. Mm. She had $68,000 in debt when she passed away. Okay. And it was all gambling debt. Wow. And so um, I literally, to this day, uh, if you asked me to go to the casino, I'd go with you. Yeah. And I'll bring a deck of cards. Yeah. And I'll bring my ID. Yeah. And I'll bring a $5 bill. <laughs> 
and everything else is in my safe at my house just because I don't know if I can trust myself or not, but I'm just not going to. You're not, you're, right, you don't, you're not willing to go down that road. Right, exactly, yeah. because I know that that could also damage my, my children. That's exactly how I felt about cocaine. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I know my addictive nature well enough to know that if I allowed myself the opportunity to do it, I might not come back from it, right? Yeah. So, you Same know, here. I yeah. mean, so that's uh, um, so that's good. So, um, your dad was passes 41 away. At 41, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it unexpected? Was it, how did... Yep, yeah, it was cancer. It was a stomach okay. cancer we found out on Thanksgiving, and then he died um, a week after Valentine's Day. Wow. So it was very fast. Very fast. And so my mom was completely devastated and very um, clinically depressed mm. uh, afterwards. Mm. So I basically raised myself, and um, when I became and how 41, old were you? Uh, eight years old. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can... So. You know, my mom died of cancer when I was 11, okay. of breast yes. cancer. Yes. So I can very intimately identify with the trauma, right, yes. uh, and what that does to you personally, emotionally, spiritually. I mean, it really, really um, puts all of that on its ass. Yeah. Yeah. And not only are you grieving the loss of your parent, which you never expected to have to do, Never even entered into your realm of possibility that this could occur. Right. Not once. And so your father's ripped away from you, but also the family that you always thought was going to be, Mm -hmm. right? Gone. Yes. Like that. And also financially. So my dad was the breadwinner. Mm. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Mm. She really didn't have any skills, mm. and so she, we went from middle class to like complete poverty. Right? Wow! So your social status mm-hmm. completely changed. Mm-hmm. Yep, totally. So then she was. So you were grieving the loss of a whole myriad of things. Correct, correct. And then also, my mom was so depressed that really it was like um, I kind of, I don't know, raised raised a lot of myself. And I can, uh, I can, you know, my relate to that my dad my dad was so consumed uh-huh. with you know um a grief right you know right um that there was a good period of year, there was a good period of time where he didn't have a lot for anything right because right? he was so consumed with grieving the loss of his wife that's yeah. right yeah every life partner yeah right yeah um and somehow trying to you know, put the pieces together and move on, right? Um, so um, that was the impetus for you, yeah? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My parents actually were together for 25 years, even though my mom was, my dad was only 41. Wow. So my parents started dating when he was 16. Wow. So it was literally my mom's love of her life, wow. and she never dated anyone afterwards. Wow. So that whole time. So anyway, um, I became 41 and I just kind of decided to jump into a bottle and it wasn't that as a lot of us um, out, I'm sure in the the people that are listening, you know, it it becomes um, something fun to do and then it becomes um, something a little bit more fun and then it becomes more than Friday and Saturday and then it becomes a chore 
and now it becomes a need. Mm. And now every day it's mm. a need. And now it's more than one or two. It's mm. five or six. And now you're at more than a six pack daily. Mm. And um, I jumped into that. And um, there's a page actually in uh, the AA Big Book uh, that's not numbered. It's uh, between. It's in the middle. What? Yep. What? Yep. Little little pop quiz for ya, all you people. Out you there. are a true big book <laughs> aficionado, and you're a wealth of big book trivia. Yes, I love uh, big book trivia. So what it basically says is, um, of these seventeen people that are going to be telling their stories in the second half of the big book, um, there is a few in there that they did not hit bottom. They did not lose their jobs. They didn't get a DWI. They didn't lose, become bankrupt or their children disown them or lose their wife or their husband. The bottom came up and hit them in the mm. face. So, and I'll submit that our bottom is when we stop digging. Correct. So I'll submit that. And the longer I'm in recovery, mm-hmm. the more I'm convinced the only true bottom is when you die. Yeah. Okay. When you let your addiction actually take your life. That's when the true bottom is. Anything short of that, Mm -hmm. you stop digging. Right. You know? And I've known a lot of high bottom, right? Mm -hmm. And I've interviewed high uh, high bottom folks Mm -hmm. on this podcast. And their recoveries are no less amazing. Right. They're no less beautiful. And they're no less of a miracle. Right. They're just no less. Right. You know, because it's not about quantities. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the um, frequency. Correct. Correct. It's about where it took you mm-hmm. emotionally, spiritually, Correct. and physically. Where did it take you? Right? Yeah. So, um, I had... Approximately, think I drank about between 12 and 16 mixed drinks and beers that day. And uh, I woke up the next morning literally with that fear right away sitting up going, I blacked out so bad. Oh my gosh, did I get raped? Mm. Where is my purse? Where is my phone? The panic. Oh, my God. Yep, that oh, my panic. The, the, Help me. That sense oh. of true panic. Right. That true, like, oh, my gosh. Who put me to bed? How did I get here? Who drove me? No idea. Did I pay anything? Did and I- as a woman, that's even scarier, yeah? Yes. Because you just talked about, did I get raped? Did I get yes. abused in some okay. way, right? right? Because I think, that obviously, that, that not that that can't happen to a man, because it can but the uh, risk is a lot higher right. for a woman, right? Right. right. Uh, that's got to be tr- uh, that's got to be very, 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 very alarming. Yes. To yes. wake up and, and and truly wonder if that could have happened. Right. Exactly. And um, I would say there is times when you um, have had a beer in the past and. You have it in your living room and you pass out on your own couch, okay? Because you had a like a small blackout type thing. I maybe had done that a couple times, but this was a true blackout. Mm-hmm. This was a true, 
I don't remember anything except for getting a pack of cigarettes at the gas station at six o'clock. Mm-hmm. And the next day I woke up at three in the afternoon. And you're looking to find out how you got home and where your car is and all of that. Yeah. Right. No right. idea. Yep. Yeah. So. We'll be right back with the second half of my discussion with Annie as we pause for another rendition of Recovery Revealed, an opportunity to take a closer look at a particular aspect of recovery. Last night, after having an amazing dinner with friends new and old in recovery, I was struck by two things that are a part of my life today that five years ago I would never have dreamt were possible. Sitting at a table in a bar and grill that is renowned for two things, hundreds of beers on tap, in the unrivaled burger of the Twin Cities, the Juicy Lucy. The first thing I realized as we were walking out, hugging and embracing each other, bidding one another adieu, was though our table was chocked full of people who were sober, we were far and away the most boisterous table in the house. We had a blast regaling stories of misadventures and hysterical examples of how our disease still manifests in our lives. Only people in recovery can have that kind of fun. Secondly, end of particular note, as my girlfriend and I were taking an after-dinner stroll, I heard myself say something out loud that I never would have uttered in my active addiction and alcoholism. I said, I want to go see my friend speak. I want to go because he's my friend. In my previous life of alcoholism and addiction, my extreme self-centeredness never allowed me to truly care for another human being in the way that I can today in recovery. In the exceedingly rare instance, I actually was invited and actually felt inclined to go somewhere with someone. My self-centeredness would invariably win out and I would flake out on them last minute, giving them some lame excuse that they wouldn't really buy anyhow. I hated myself just a little more every time I would do it. And eventually people just stopped inviting me out. Ever. Part of the reason I ended up quite alone before getting sober and beginning to recover over three and a half years ago. These gifts are because I actively work a program of recovery. And I made a decision to get right in the middle of recovery. And because of that, I met like-minded people who wanted or already had what I wanted. I found a tribe, and I've made friendships that really mean something to me. If you're new in recovery, I urge you to get in the middle of your recovery community, 12-step or otherwise, and finally feel what it feels like to be a part of, not apart from. Now back to the second half of my discussion with Annie. Listen up. This week's Recovery Revealed segment is brought to you by All Recovery Rings and AllRecoveryRings.com. Would you like a medallion or coin from your favorite recovery program hand-forged into a beautiful ring? Go to AllRecoveryRings.com and choose from over 15 stunning styles all hand-forged by expert craftsmen. What are you waiting for? Do like I did and get your very own recovery ring today. Don't forget, the way we get the message out to those who still suffer 
is to give this podcast a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. So um, many, many days, um, I uh, wake up, I uh, do some prayers, I do meditation, um, depending on what's going on in my life, um, I call my sponsor and just check in in the morning. I know that if I work out and I see on the board that I burned four or 500 calories, then that kind of sets up, okay, I'm going to go home, I'm going to take a nice shower, I'm going to eat some vegetables, I'm going to have an egg or some chicken or protein, and then I know I'm going to eat the right things for dinner. And the goal is not to be a skinny mini. The goal is to be healthy, not just for today or 30 days or some bad diet. It's for till I'm 80 or 90 or 100. Something that we all can identify with, I think, or most of us. I was a I, when I drank hard liquor, I was a blackout drinker. It's just a bottom line. I stopped drinking hard liquor because you know, and again, that's that trading, right? Like, okay, well, I can't drink hard liquor now, so I'll do this and that and the other thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, continuing to attempt to manage my addiction, right, rather than surrendering to it, and I spent a lot of time tr- attempting. The key word there, attempting to manage my addiction right. unsuccessfully right. and to various degrees of unsuccessfulness Correct. <laughs> throughout my active alcoholism and addiction. Yes. And so it, I think it's important to really take a, to understand a couple of things about your journey and your story, which I think is super instructive. Number one, you know, I always believe and believe in my heart of hearts that I have I was born with big addict and alcoholic switches, mm-hmm. and they were just going to get tripped. Mm-hmm. Hook or crook. Okay? Mm-hmm. They were going to get tripped. 100% believe yes. that to my very core. Okay? But I also believe that the death of my mother and subsequent events after that was the kerosene on the very dry, fertile kindling that was already set in place right and it was really like just absolutely pouring kerosene on a fire right because not only i mean you know my dad always used to say that i had the quickest hand in the in in the west when it came to the cookie jar (laughs) when the cookie jar came out after dinner Right. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like he always had the quickest hand, that Charlie, into the cookie jar. Right? So I know. I know in my heart of hearts, you know, like I'm addict through and through, baby. You know what I'm saying? Like 100%. Yes. Right? Um, my mom dying when I was 11 just propelled me. It rocketed me right. into addiction and alcoholism. That sounds like very, very similar to your story and your journey, that it rocketed you into, you know, your primary addiction, mm-hmm. which is food and eat, overeating, into a secondary addiction, and then became primary, right, the, the nicotine addiction, mm-hmm. and then into alcoholism. So, to that end, how do you, what does your recovery look like today, right, knowing your propensity for cross addiction. So what does it look like? Yeah, today? what do you do today on a daily basis? What is your reco- what is your daily recovery program look like? Oh. What's your daily recovery today that keeps you 
sober. It keeps me sober. So um, many, many days, um, I uh, wake up, I uh, do some prayers, I do meditation. Um, depending on what's going on in my life, um, I call my sponsor and just check in in the morning. And every day. So she has a sponsor, everybody. I yes. just want to say anybody who's working a 12-step <laughs> program, okay? She has a sponsor. This is important. It sounds like it's helpful. Wanna... It is. Yeah, there's a little ad. Her yep. name is a Mary. Little, little Everyone, plug. Yep. M-A-R-Y. <laughs> sounds like Mary. a great name for a sponsor, by the <laughs> right? way. It sounds very sponsory. <laughs> right? Um, so shout out to her. Um, and then the next thing is for me, um, because my primary focus is food. Um, if I set my uh, body correctly, then the other things will fall into place. So we eat, we drink, we smoke. Those are the three for me. Mm -hmm. So if I exercise, then I won't want to make poor choices. Mm. So every day at noon, my trainer and I get together and we work out. And we were talking about that. That's funny because that was your non-negotiable when we were talking about scheduling the interview, right? Like any time, but not noon. Now I know that's your that's your deal, right? Yeah. Like I need to commit to this on a daily basis in order to maintain your recovery. Absolutely. Yep. 100%. And um, I know that if I work out and I see on the board that I burned four or 500 calories, then that kind of sets up, okay, I'm going to... Go home, I'm going to take a nice shower, I'm going to eat some vegetables, I'm going to have an egg or some chicken or protein, and then I know I'm going to eat the right things for dinner. Mm. And the goal is not to be a skinny mini. The goal is to be healthy. Mm. Not just for today or 30 days or some fad diet. It's for till I'm 80 or 90 or 100. So you've adopted a lifestyle change that allows you to be able to maintain a healthy lifestyle. Absolutely. And I know for a fact that there are certain things that he wants me to do as far as physically with my body that I know. And that's the God of your understanding? <laughs> Yes. Gotcha. I just wanted to make sure you didn't like, you know, have like some sort of just, you know, uh, odd relationship with your son or something or, you know, let's just clear that up right now. That's the higher power we're talking right. about. So my God, um, uh, I believe um, in uh, one of the sacred uh, um, scriptures, I guess you can, you I can say that out loud mm -hmm. and on the radio. Mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. Therefore, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, and acceptable, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And for me, that's kind of my primary focus is um, for all you pregnant ladies or have been moms in the past out there, women that we've ever been pregnant, the very first thing when you get pregnant, that very first moment, the doctor says, every bite you take is nutrients for the baby. Mm. Very important. And mm -hmm. I took that very seriously. Never smoked when I was pregnant. Never ate bad food when I was pregnant. Was very serious. Never had a drop of alcohol when I was pregnant. Why did I honor my children so much, but I don't honor myself? Mm. I need to honor myself. Mm. So every day I take this as a serious um, thing to honor my, my body. And therefore I'm honoring what God gave me. A healthy, You are body. God's handiwork. Yes. You know, so yes. treat yourself as such. Right. And... One thing that I am surprised about as um, 
we said it's called the elephant in the room. Um, we talk in many of these groups, in AA groups, about how we're so proud that we're not drinking. However, we grab that cigarette immediately and head out the door right after mm. we just talked about it. 100%. And not to be judgy or a jerk, but I don't understand it sometimes. And sometimes I have anger issues with it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and I think really from for, for all intents and purposes, I know that you know alcoholism was for me my worst my 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 primary addiction and created a crisis that was only averted through a complete surrender. Correct. And that would have absolutely, I am, I am there unequivocally would have uh, meant. An early demise for yours truly. Correct. Smoking is was for me suicide on the installment plan, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it didn't create the um, uh, issues with loved ones and the people that I cared about and those so closest to me. You know, the collateral damage of alcoholism and addiction is significant and real. Right, a lot of collateral damage that can happen with that, and not so much with the with smoking. Right. So it becomes this sort of, except it's legal. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's less and less tolerated in society, but still is to some extent. Right. right. A society a lots for smokers. Mm-hmm. It's not again. It's not illegal. Right. So it becomes this sort of legal way. For me to, it did for me, to sort of, not sort of, to channel my addiction into nicotine. Mm-hmm. And you spoke to some of the denial around that. Right. Absolutely. I can speak for myself. Denial. Right? That I was, you know, Mr. Recovery. You know what I'm saying? But I was... um. I was not only harboring an addiction, it was growing. I was embracing that nicotine addiction. You know, like I was consumed in it. And vaping, by the way, for those of you who vape, okay, I vaped, okay? And I switched from cigarettes to e-cigarettes thinking, well, that's better, right? Because it doesn't stink. Right? It probably doesn't cause cancer because there's no thing on the e-cigarette that says it does. So it's probably healthy. Um, And for an addict, Annie, to vape where you can literally do it everywhere and it smells like a freaking air freshener? Are you kidding? I mean, I was... I was... I was so bad so quick with vaping. It was... It was ridiculous and it was impossible to ignore right it became impossible really quick for me to ignore that i had absolutely transferred my addiction right into nicotine right right into it and it became quickly unmanaged i was doing it in the bathroom at work Mm -hmm. okay unmanageable okay um so and releasing myself from that addiction and using the same methodology that I had applied to my alcohol and drug addiction, mm-hmm. I have to surrender. Mm-hmm. My life has become unmanageable. Mm-hmm. Okay? 
Um, and I have to come to believe that a power greater than myself. So if I believed, if I believed that the God of my understanding was big enough to take my alcoholism right. and my addiction, <laughs> then he was certainly big enough to take my nicotine addiction. Okay. Absolutely. And I had to put my money where my mouth was. Yes. Because I sat inside of 12-step meetings saying, God has removed that obsession. Correct. That's right. And so fairly hypocritical <laughs> then to say, well, he can't remove my nicotine addiction, only my alcohol addiction, only my, you know, right? Right. And, and here's my challenge as far as the spiritual people um, out there that say AA is the hospital or the whatever treatment is the hospital. So we go to the hospital, we do our mental confession in our rooms, etc., right? So when you go to the hospital, are you allowed to vape there? No. When you go to church, are you allowed to vape there? Not any church that I'm aware of. Okay, and when you go to the airport, what happens? I think they frown on it. Right. So if those three establishments have said no vaping... Why is this acceptable when we go to our recovery groups? Agreed. And so it doesn't mean that you can't have a good program of recovery and smoke. Because I think you can. Okay, I think you can work a good recovery program. I think you can, um, you know, be active in the recovery community, right? It's just very interesting. And again, that's why I call it the elephant in the room. Right. Okay, because people that are working wonderful recovery programs also have an addiction. Correct. That's the reality of it. Right. That reality is expressed in a percentage Mm -hmm. that's been studied that says up to 85 or almost 85%. Other numbers have said 60, other numbers have said 75%. Right. Okay. So anywhere from 60 to 85% of people in recovery have a nicotine addiction Correct. compared to 25% of the general population. We have addictive natures. Absolutely. Okay. And if, just to add this, going back to the parenting thing, if I was disciplining my kids by saying, please don't smoke right now, by loving my recovery friends out there that are listening to this podcast... I would also give you the love part to say that every time you don't have a vape or you don't have a cigarette, that's eight minutes more of your life that you've mm. gained by not doing that. And, that's and a part I of care that. about yes. you guys. Yes. And I care. And we have great, wonderful meetings. And we talk about how much we care and love for each other. And I care for such a group of recovery people. And then when they go out and they ruin their lungs, it makes me want to cry. It makes me super sad. Self-care is important. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's one of the things that, you know, when I surrendered to my alcoholism and my addiction on December 6, 2014, Mm -hmm. or thereabouts, because Mm of the actual, um, that's when I stopped. That was my last drink. I didn't say, I don't want to ever drink again. I didn't say that. I didn't say I never want to use drugs again. I said, I can't do this anymore. I want to get better. 
That's what I wanted. It wasn't really about not drinking as much as I just needed to get better. Right. Right? I need to get better as a whole person. Because I was bankrupt all the way around. Mm-hmm. And these are manifestations of that. Yeah. Of how, how, how ill and how sick I was. Right. Spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Mm-hmm. Alcohol was a manifestation of that. My alcoholism. Good. My addiction to drugs was a, was a manifestation of how ill I was. Right. And how sick I was. And so was... My addiction, my addiction to nicotine, right? right? So that to me is the instructive piece, right. right? That they're all manifestations of the same illness. Right. Can you relate to that? Absolutely. 100%. So if I'm really on a path to recovery, mm-hmm. and I need to look at myself honestly, mm-hmm. and take stock of all of my behavior. Correct. If I'm a smoker, I need to ask myself if that's something I need to address. Right. Right? And just like it never made me a bad person when I was an alcoholic and an active alcoholism, not a moral failing, right? Mm-hmm. Not a personality failure, not you're a bad person. Right. It's not. No. It's an addiction. Correct. Which is a disease. Right. Right. Okay? So this is not you bad people in... Recovery, you terrible smokers, you terrible, terrible, dirty, dirty, dirty smokers, you should be ashamed of yourself. That's not what this is, right? not at all. It is a, this is a manifestation of, you know, the central illness. Correct. Yep. And we need to love our bodies. God gave us beautiful bodies that work fine, that we need to honor. And Mm -hmm. how do we honor God? By not putting bad things in them. If you're a person of faith, then you can use that, right? And you could say, the one of the fundamental tenets of my faith is to honor my body. Right. And I need to do that. If you're not a person of faith, then you can take the self-care route. Right. Exactly. Because self-care is super important, a super big part of recovery. Correct. I need to take care of myself. Right. Need to. And if you have children, you're taking care of yourself because you're trying to honor them. 100%. 100%. So when, do you find ways to, so for me, I try to set a, I try to, um, just like attraction rather than promotion. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I try to do that with the nicotine. Right. Inside of meetings. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so when I'm standing out there with the rest of the smokers and vapors, Right. If they don't know that I used to smoke, I let them know that I used to. Mm-hmm. I used to smoke too, mm-hmm. and then I used to vape, mm-hmm. and then I would, and then I quit, mm-hmm. and I've never, ever, ever, ever been felt better about it. Like you know how, and not that I try to rub it in their face or anything. I just say you know it's one of the best things I did for myself. Right. That's all I say. Yeah. One of the best things I did for myself was quit nicotine. Mm-hmm. And that's it. No lecture. No shaming. No. Right? I sometimes don't understand why um, we don't go around and actually say all of the things. Yep. So I could really say um, I'm an overeater. 
Um, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm a nicotine addict. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's the reality of it, right? Yeah. You know, nobody does say that, that I'm a recovering nicotine addict, but I am. Right. 100%. But I, and I, lip, I, I lumped that into, you know, I'm a, I, I heard somebody very early on in my treatment that uh, identified himself as a what you got a holic. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah, I can relate to that. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, the substance is less the less the issue for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm an addict through and through. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is, right? I mean, I don't even drink sparkling water like a normal human being. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. So uh, I, that's just how I operate. Right. And as I progress in my recovery... I can then continue to address things. I'm also a caffeine addict. Okay? Right. I mean, that's real life. Right. Okay? Right. Um, and that will have to get addressed sometime. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Um, but not today. Right. Progress, not perfection. Right. And, you know, we uh, we work through things. I also, sugar. Right? Like, I love me some sugar. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but if you were diabetic, it's over. Done. 100%. You're 100%. Done. Yep. And that, that may or may not happen for me, but I do know that 100%, the way that I consume, like I told you, I, had a, I have an abnormal relationship with food. Okay. Mm-hmm. I also have an abnormal relationship with sugar. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have an abnormal relationship with with many many things okay i have an abnormal relationship with i don't know if you can have a normal porn relationship by the way is there a normal (laughs) right is there like just like i just look at it on the weekends i don't know but medically i think normal men have to release they do so right it's got to be some medical thing that says you have to do something to get rid of it so maybe there's porn <laughs> consumers, moderation. yeah, that do it in moderation. Like I can leave it whatever I want. You know what maybe. I'm saying? I'm know. not that guy. Okay, so I have to abstain. Right. Right. Exactly. And that was another thing I needed to be honest with myself about. Right. And realize right. that you know porn had been a very prevalent part of my um, act of addiction. Correct. Okay. And even in recovery. Okay, it was tempered in recovery, uh, but every time he engaged in that activity, okay, mm-hmm. I was hitting the eject button. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And as soon as I admitted that to myself, right, okay, that every time I engaged in that, I was hitting the eject button. I no longer could do that anymore. I had to get honest with myself right. about what that behavior truly was, what that behavior truly was about. Right. Right. Exactly. Going to the fantasy. Bingo. Yeah. Escaping me and my feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that sucked because I had to give it up. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, damn it. You know, are you going to take away everything that I used to like? Everything, honestly, for real. Yeah, that's going to be sad. For real. Right? You know? There's no more fun in life, None. Right? Zero. But actually, I have more fun today yeah. in recovery mm-hmm. with the absence of my compulsions and addictions mm-hmm. than I ever did when I was being dominated and in, in, in right. controlled by them. Correct. 
Yeah. Because I never truly manage them. And to add a little bit about um, going back just quickly, I just thought another thing about the smoking. Um, it's literally like a ball and chain when you have to carry a lighter around that works. 100%. And a box of 100%. something. 100%. And when you're a girl that doesn't want to carry a purse... It's a pain in the butt because that cigarette pack doesn't fit in your jeans. Okay. <laughs> Not in women's jeans, right? <laughs> right. Men's jeans, it fits great. <laughs> right. I feel sexist. And so by it literally the way. is a, a ball and chain. I yeah. hate it. And yeah. I'm, that's another reason why I'm not interested anymore. And the obsession's been removed. Yeah. 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 And I had a great time uh, in the airport uh, two weeks ago because I, I had no worries. I could do whatever I wanted. I still, to this day, my dad, you know, my dad quit smoking when my mom was pregnant with me okay okay so he's been quit for 40 years okay and he says still to this day every once in a great 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 while he'll get a craving really 40 years later wow so i'm that way and i know that the longer i am from my last cigarette Mm -hmm. right the longer apart my cravings will be. Okay. Okay? okay. But they'll never go away. I'm convinced of that because I know my, I've quit for two years and I've quit for three before this. Okay. Right? Now I'm quit for about a year and a half. Okay. okay. I know two things unequivocally. Number one, the cravings will never go away. They'll just get farther and farther and farther and farther apart. It could be five years apart at some point, right? But they'll be apart. And... That if I decide, if I choose to smoke, if I choose to pick up a cigarette, I will be saying, I will become a smoker. I told myself that. That's what I tell myself. If you pick up that cigarette, Charlie, you have decided to become a smoker. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because that's the rationalization game I play with myself. And every time that I've started smoking again, I'm just going to have one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I don't spontaneously combust. And run to the store and smoke 25 in a row. So I figured, well, I handled that well. Mm-hmm. Just like it was for alcohol. Just like it was for drugs. I didn't spontaneously combust when I relapsed. Right. Okay. Um, but then very quickly, inside of a week, I'm a smoker again. And it's happened every time without fail. So I just tell myself right on the front end, if you're tempted to have a cigarette, just know that if you have one, you will be a smoker again. Right. Period. Right. And I don't want to be a smoker again. Right. I don't. No. So then I need to be honest with myself and say that I can't have that. Right. 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 I just can't because right. I don't want to be a smoker again. And if I have one, I will be a smoker. Right. Period. Right. Is that relatable to you? I think I'm going to agree to disagree as far as me personally. Everyone has their own um, relationship, right, with it? Right. I literally, um, it's like, it's like uh, 100%. I'm, I'm all 100% divorced. That's amazing. And that's great. I, you know, it just, it stinks. I don't want to carry it around. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. What, what is it now? $11 a pack or something? Oh my god, it's oh my know. god. Here it's stupid. I mean it's, it's stupid expensive. So, yeah. Eleven times thirty times whatever, twelve. Yep. Oh yeah. What is it, like yep. four grand a year? Yep. And I but agree. After taxes, right. I spent like five grand I could right. have had a beautiful car. Right. Five yep. grand, but yep. instead I blew it out my car window. Right. 
right? And, and then I and also made the environment disgusting. You get some tar in your lungs, which is like a token souvenir, which is nice. Yeah. So yeah. I don't miss the habit, <laughs> right. right? I don't miss the habit, right? But I still get a craving, and that's the addiction piece for me. Like my the physical addiction that I had with smoking, mm-hmm. right? Because I think some for some, it, it's more it's an emotional more than it is physical mm-hmm. right right and for some it's more physical than it was sort of emotional right 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 and so for me it was definitely more physical like physically i was so addicted right right and so i still get that trigger because there's this association with some doing something that i used to do when i smoked right that i haven't done in a really long time right right um, and I do it again, and all of a sudden, boom, I get this. It's like a shot. Yes. And I'm like, just the thought, I want to sick, you know, this overwhelming desire, like, I want to smoke. And I'm actually, you know, I actually look for it sometimes. Seriously. <laughs> like, I'm patting like this, and then I stop myself, and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. I pray. Right. I ask God to remove the desire. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Take a deep breath. Yes. And it's gone. That's good. That's great. I will tell you, as far as a trigger goes, um, every time I get in the car, I have a piece of gum. Hmm. And mm-hmm. it's not nicotine gum. Mm-hmm. Just standard, standard issue gum. Because my biggest trigger out of all the things is the first thing you do is you get in the car, you start it up, hell, you light up your cigarette. 100%. 100%. <laughs> and it's do. this whole ritual. <laughs> yeah. And smoking definitely has ritual to it. Yes. And that's part of it, too, is in the beginning, I think, the going outside with your friends is the ritual. Absolutely. And also, that's part of the tie-in, too, that kind of I have a love-hate desire with at the AA meeting. Yep. Is you go and talk about your alcohol problem, then you leave the room And then you feed your nicotine addiction. (laughs) And you go talk with your friends... And you... Feed your addiction. Right. Yeah. And so that's the reality like of it. It's con- confusing. Yep. You know, that's another thing, yep. too, is it's a hangout with the friends thing. But then pretty soon, at least for my group of dear canoeing friends, slowly but surely, everybody said, no, I quit, I quit, I quit, I quit. And pretty soon, I was the only one standing outside by myself. Mm. So that's another reason. Because I don't want to do it by myself anymore, either. It's such a success story when I see somebody inside the rooms quit, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I make a big deal of it on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. A dear friend of mine uh, that goes to my home group quit, right? Mm-hmm. And he was a smoker for 40 years, nice. right? And that to me, right, that's the power. And he applied program right. to it, right? Okay? Exactly. That's how he quit, program. Awesome. Okay? That's and awesome. he did the same thing I did. He said, if, my God, if the God of my understanding is big enough mm-hmm. to take my alcoholism, the God of my understanding is big enough to take my nicotine addiction. Absolutely. Amen, brother. And any other addiction you might be harboring. Correct. Okay? Because if we're truly recovering and in recovery, then we need to address it all. Yes. All of it. All of it. In order to really be free. Mm-hmm. And that's what the 12 steps really promises yes right yes freedom absolutely complete freedom 100 percent freedom and it can absolutely provide that yes if 
You are willing. Mm-hmm. But you have to be willing. Yes. And you have to be honest with yourself so it's the how of it, right? Correct. Honesty. Absolutely. Open-mindedness and willingness. Yes. And so I challenge any of you who are harboring some other addiction outside of your primary addiction, right, to get honest with yourself about it. And look to apply program to it. If you are 12 step, if you are another path of recovery, whether that be um, you work to celebrate recovery mm-hmm. or smart recovery, mm-hmm. whatever your pathway to recovery, use that methodology on any other addiction that might be. I'll caution that you do it when you're ready. Okay? If you're 30 days in, uh, from alcohol or drug addiction, hey, cool it. You're good, right? Like, let's just take one thing at a time. Nobody here is recommending that you rip off the Band-Aid on every single addiction inside of the first 30 days, okay? Um, crawl before you walk on it, right? <laughs> right. Um, and, um, but, but I challenge you out in Way Out podcast land to look at your other addictions and see if you can't address those as well because you will not regret it. And this I is didn't. not a 30-day process. This is a lifestyle change. Mm. You have to change your life mm-hmm. in order to be able to be free of the addiction. Yeah? Correct. Yes. I had to change my life when it came to uh, my alcoholism my addiction mm-hmm. and you talk about the exercise mm-hmm. it's a huge part of my recovery huge i have to get in my hour and change of exercise every day without fail it's a critical component of my recovery absolutely because we're whole people right. and so we have to address all of it right. right the emotional spiritual and physical and they're all connected if one's out of whack Right. The others suffer, right? Absolutely. If I'm physically out of whack, then emotionally and spiritually I'm taxed. Right. Right? It's Absolutely. that three-legged stool concept. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, we want to be able to uh, uh, be well physically, which means taking care of your body. Right. It means getting exercise and good nutrition. And it also means, you know, spiritually, so get connected. Mm-hmm. To whatever spiritual connection that you can get behind, right? Right. And then emotionally, like I had, you know, therapy was huge for me all throughout, you know, my recovery, especially early recovery, right? And that really helped address my emotional um, sobriety. So it was worded to me once: um, in order to get your shell right, your soul and your spirit have to be right. Mm. So I like that. It's kind of an inside job, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So, Annie, I can't thank you enough for being here, being on the Way Out podcast. Uh, we might have pissed some people off, and that's okay. <laughs> I'm willing to do that in the spirit of um, the spreading recovery in all and wellness. Yes. In all facets of our lives. And you know what? It's because we care, people. Absolutely. It's because we care. Yes. That we have brought this to the forefront. So the elephant has officially been 
identified, has been welcomed, and now doesn't feel like it's being completely ignored, which is rude, really. (laughs) So we've welcomed and embraced the elephant in the room officially, have we not? And it feels liberating, really. It does. It feels free. Absolutely liberating. (laughs) Eddie, I can't thank you enough for being on the Way Out podcast. And we'll call it a wrap, huh? Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out, where we share stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. Or drop your host a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. There you can also find links to previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podcast Garden. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, contact me at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety day will.